Welcome to episode 274 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever gone to a training or workshop that turned out to be an extended sales pitch? Those are the worst. I wouldn't feel good telling you about one of those. But I feel great telling you about my friend Melinda Cohen's The Coaching Business Workshop. I know it's going to be full of information you can start using right now to jumpstart your coaching business or to make the coaching business you already have even better. I've worked with Melinda and interviewed her about her fascinating entrepreneurial journey. I know she's been doing this for almost 20 years now, and she's been through just about everything the coaching world can throw at you. In fact, that's part of what she's going to be discussing at the workshop. Over three days, she'll take you through the intricacies of running a coaching business and doing it well. This workshop starts next week, and it's guaranteed to be packed full of information, learning, and aha moments you can't get anywhere else. Claim your free spot at robbysamuels.com forward slash CBW. That's CBW as in Coaching Business Workshop. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest helps leaders and teams become the best of who they are and what they do. She's the founder and owner of Cognitas, an executive and team coaching firm. Her clients include premier brands such as Adobe, Netflix, PwC, Gap, Dropbox, Stripe, and numerous high-growth startups. She specializes in helping her clients lead and thrive in fast-paced, constantly changing, and uncertain environments. Earlier in her career, she was a management consultant with PwC and led numerous teams and projects to help companies scale and implement large-scale strategic change. Following that, she held executive-level positions at both a digital marketing agency and a private equity firm. In her coaching practice, she helps leaders and teams create adaptive solutions that address their most pressing challenges, enhance their effectiveness, and capitalize on opportunities. She's a regular contributor to HBR, Fast Company, and Forbes, writing about leadership and strategies for high performance. Please join me in welcoming Dina Denham-Smith. Thank you, Ravi. It's so great to be here. I appreciate the invite. Dina, thanks for joining us from your place in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thrilled to have you join us. Love getting to know you in real life. And as you know, the show's context is about building strong networks, but leadership is really the kind of focus we take. So with that in mind, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah. So I guess the way that I define leadership is first, um, it's, it's really a choice or a stance. It's, it's not a title. Um, and I see leaders as being people who inspire others to follow out of their free will, not authority. So when I think about that, um, and I think about this a lot as an executive coach, what great leaders really do is they see possibility. They see possibility. Maybe it's a problem that needs to be solved. Maybe it's a better future, but they see it. They plant a stake in the ground, and then they motivate and inspire and help others bring out their very best in service of that vision. And so I think that leaders, what they do though, is they put the people first. And by doing that, they move the business forward. 
I love that you started with that. It's a choice though, right? Like it's not, it's not tied to a title or position or authority or, you know, authoritarianism. It's really like, it is decision. And then what you said at the end to put people first. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, I'm now curious, okay, how did you start to realize, or when did you start to realize you may have some of these skills that you're describing? Yeah, honestly, um, I was really like thrown into the deep end by a couple people early in my career. Um, and I'll give them a shout out because um, they were really formative to me. Uh, one is a partner at PwC. His name is Dave Lubow. And another one um, was named John Warren. And they both put me in um, positions that were far above my level of competence, truly. And I just had to learn how to swim. But I knew um, they wouldn't have done that unless they saw something in me I wasn't aware of yet. And um, so that was really quite special because I was pushed really to um, very much (laughs) against all of my learning edges. But at the same time, I felt held. I knew they wouldn't let me fail. And they were both great mentors. How old were you when that was happening? Oh, gosh. Um, Sort of early mid twenties, like right after, right after grad school. Oh, that's an interesting time to be given that kind of responsibility. Cause you don't even know what, you know, like, you know, even the skills that you do have, you're not clear about and everything feels new, but also what a great opportunity to have these kinds of mentors in your life. So they saw something in you is how you described mm-hmm. it. I imagine then that you already came into that role with some you know, some set of experience and skills. So what, what were you like, Dina, as a kid, when you're thinking about, I don't know, the playground or running for office yeah. or teachers knowing that you'd step up or not? Like, how'd you show up in those moments? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, because again, I seem to just orient or find myself in positions of leadership, right? So whether it was class president in eighth grade or captain of my soccer team, Somehow it was, I guess, just a fit um, for me naturally. I'm definitely a very uh, sort of people forward organizing type of person who always believes that um, there's more or it could be better or what might be possible here. And so maybe just those sort of collection of um, attributes somehow uh, came together in ways that landed me in these different sort of positions. The running for office is a decision you make, but being mm-hmm. asked to be, you know, captain of a team, your team makes that call, right? So was it more you choosing or wanting these roles or was it people seeing your natural sort of inclination and willingness to step up and then sit, like, like being, oh, well, Dina will do it. Yeah. Yeah, I honestly think it's both. Um, I, um, I've always believed in that power of saying yes to opportunity. I also believe in the power of saying no. <laughs> However, um, I think yes is an amazing word. It's like, it's a doorway. Um, you just need to choose the right doors. And so I think there was a combination of, um, there was a combination of me wanting um wanting positions where I could influence, and then also a real willingness to say yes when others would say, would you, could you, will you? (laughs) It is a very powerful um, 
sense of self that you have that you're willing to say yes, that you know that. I think a lot of people, when there's forks in the road, really shy away from from even having to make a choice. Like they almost want the choice being made for them. They'd rather like have someone say, well, that that direction might be hard. Mm-hmm. Go with this other direction. And you're like, given the choice, I'm going to A, pick something and I'm not going to shy away from what might be unknown to me. I mean, mm-hmm. is that sort of a through line in how you you feel like your career trajectory and your life has sort of unfolded? It, it, yes. Uh, just early on, and I'm not sure how I was first exposed to this thought, but I think it's a powerful one, or at least it has been for me, which is um, by not making decisions, you are making decisions, mm. right? Yeah. So I, I would rather um, I would rather be an active decision maker um, than allow inactivity to make the choice for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if there's also kind of a family influence or maybe an early mentor or teacher influence in, in how you sort of see the world. Is there somebody that comes to mind? I love that you asked me that because now I get to talk about my dad and I lost him like so sadly almost two years ago, but he was a huge influence on me really throughout my life um, from just sort of like a pull yourself up by your bootstraps to um, just determination uh, to resourcefulness. And at the end, um, one of the lessons that he just like lived and um, I don't know, I just felt so honored to be there with him was the power of purpose. Um, it kept him alive so much longer than any doctor ever anticipated. And, uh, and it really, really instilled in me that um, importance of knowing like, what is it you stand for? What is it you want to contribute? Who matters? Um, you know, what are you doing with your one precious life? Which, you know, comes out, comes from a great poem. But, um, but yeah, my dad was absolutely a pivotal, pivotal um, influence on me throughout my life, including my adulthood. Really glad that we got to bring his, his memory forth because it sounds like he, he was an amazing person and really had such a profound impact on you and the people around him. Um, did you early on have a sense of what your life was going to look like when, did you go to college? Was that part of the plan? I, I did. Yeah. No, both my parents were teachers. I had sort of an unusual, um, upbringing in that they were boarding school teachers and they were boarding school teachers at an all boys boarding school. And so I actually grew up on the campus of an all boys boarding school back in Connecticut, South Kent school. Um, and so, um, I guess early on, yes, education was never even a question for me. It was a, it was a value in our family. And so it wasn't if, it was just which one. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then, gosh, that upbringing, you know, it was very odd in a way, like looking back on it. Um, my understanding of ratios was very skewed, right? Like for me, sort of 100 a hundred to one, hundred men to one woman felt normal. <laughs> um, but what was so neat about it was I was exposed to people from all over the country, from all over the world at a very early age who came from all these different walks of life. And so I grew up with, I feel like this very rich um, understanding of how there are 200,000 possible paths, right? Um, it just wasn't, oh, my dad was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. I, I guess I'll be a teacher too. 
what an interesting, unique experience. I actually, I have sort of a, a piece of that history in that my wife was a director of residence life for 12 and a half years at a women-centered college in Boston. And I moved in and was living there for six and a half years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had an apartment on campus in one of the residential hall and our yeah. kids were both born when we were living there and their earliest years were there and running around the like dining hall. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah I and mean, it was just, it's very interesting experience. And I can imagine if we'd stayed there, like what their sense of the world, like as, you know, people who are perceived as boys living in, in a space that was dominated by mostly women identified mm-hmm. people. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like you said, the ratios of the world. Yeah. Um, did you know out of college, like what was your career path? I mean, the, what you're doing today doesn't seem like a thing you'd know you'd want to do. So like, what was the earlier, um, I guess, vision? Yeah. You know, honestly, there have been two through lines and I see them in the rear mirror that go back honestly to when I was a little kid. Like I've always cared so much about what makes people tick um, and how our minds work. I still remember to this day, my very science, first science report ever, I think in fifth grade was on the human brain, like no small topic, but anyhow. <laughs> and then I was always um, entrepreneurial. Um, you know, I had so many different businesses when I was a kid. I was always trying um, out different things to lesser and greater success. And um, so when I left college, I was a psychology undergrad and uh, with sort of a neuroscience focus. And I knew I wanted to do something, but I really wanted to do it sort of in the quote unquote real world. You know, I did not want to be a therapist. I didn't want to be a um, teacher, researcher. And so I, um, I actually looked at like, what are all the different possibilities here? And that is actually how I um, ended up uh, going into a PhD program for industrial organizational psychology, um, which I absolutely loved, but again, sort of started to feel very professorial track. So I left and I got my MBA. Um, so I have that dual master's and I've really worked at that intersection ever since, um, sort of that, that cross between um, people, psychology, business, and every single chapter has hit on that, some more squarely than others. But um, yeah, so, so I can see a long through line. Yeah, it's funny how in the moment, it's really hard to see when you're just leaping from one stepping stone to another. But in the rearview mirror, like it starts to take shape in a different way. Um, I was also very entrepreneurial as a kid, <laughs> selling mm-hmm. all kinds of things to my classmates in in high school, um, junior high school even. I mean, I got in trouble in second grade for selling something to someone. So <laughs> I got home, my dad was like, good for you. <laughs> so I wasn't discouraged. Um, so, uh, you know, you end up at PwC, which is not like, a, I don't know, it's not a nothing thing. That's a pretty big deal career uh, move. Did you seek out that? Did you know this is what you wanted or did someone sort of invite you in? Like, how do you get entry to this, you know, esteemed organization? Yeah. So for me, um, it started with um, when I was doing my MBA at University of Michigan. There, It's very traditional that you have an internship between your first and second year and, um, and a bunch of different firms. They come to campus, which is very lovely. <laughs> you interview. And um, PwC gave me an offer for an internship. Um, 
really sort of like plum assignment and location that I was excited about. And, um, and it worked out really well. And, uh, and so then I received a, a full-time offer and that's how that came about. Amazing. I, you know, this is where internships can give you so many doors that open, that mm-hmm. you, you know, give access to things. But I know you as an entrepreneur. I know you as a person who's like managing a bigger, actually a fairly big company of the people I know. I feel like I had to learn this because you and a whole bunch of your colleagues signed up for one of my programs. And I was like, how many of them are there? Um, <laughs> I was like, wow. So most people I know in this you know, thought leadership mm-hmm. kind of coaching space, you know, it's like them, maybe a partner and then, you know, various assistants and hanger honors, but like you've got a real team, but I don't think it starts, you know, big. Right. So when did you realize I'm going to leave the, the like track of a career and then shift? I mean, you sounds like you were always kind of entrepreneurial, but when did you make the like decision, as you said, to really make that leap and, and commit to that plan? Yeah, gosh, it was about eight years ago now. And um, and I'm not sure if you've ever had the experience, Robbie, where sort of like what is a whisper turns into a roar. And so I had been, you know, I'd been hearing the whispers and um, and then it became actually something I felt like I couldn't ignore, but I was not actually able to sort out what was the shift I wanted to make? Um, I just knew that it was, it was time for um, a change. And so um, as luck would have it, I decided I would hire a a coach and, um, and, and she was, she was lovely. We had one session (laughs) and I was like, I think I might've figured it out. Um, because again, I just was exposed to something I hadn't had exposure to before. It's like this coaching thing is very interesting. And so that led me on an exploration of like, what is, what is this all about? And then I was like, oh my gosh, amazing. Like this is exactly, um, this is exactly uh, sort of like fits into the things that I care about, right? I care about people. I care about helping them. Um sort of achieve more, do more, be more, be happier. And I care about it specifically within the context of work. Like I've always believed, my goodness, if you look at the amount of waking hours we spend at work, it's extraordinary. Like we have to make them great, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. Like to do anything else, it's just in my mind, a travesty. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like that perfect Venn diagram. I always talk about how you find your ideal client. It's like your expertise. So you have expertise and then you have your passion. This is a topic you clearly love so much. And then you just have to figure out, well, what do I do where people can feel the impact? They can believe the value of what I can help them with that they're wanting wanting to pay me. And, you know, for you, it seems like executive coaching in particular ended up being kind of a sweet spot for you. Um, But how did, like, how did you, take that next step. Did you know any entrepreneurs? Is anyone like guiding you on that? I also wanted to say, I love that you hired a coach because how many people are in that critical moment of just trying to figure out next steps and they don't seek out. It's such a great resource to get that sounding board. And for you, it ended up opening real doors to a whole mm-hmm. new career path. But so what, what's the next step as you're like, Oh, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Then what? Yeah. So I, I, um, 
I did what I do, which is I went to research mode. Um, and I connected with some other people who were already in the, in the industry and learned more. And then I, I dove in <laughs> and um, I found actually two different executive uh, coaching training programs, both of which were compelling to me um, and would have sort of qualified me as a, a professional certified coach, assuming I passed a, a test with the ICF. And, and I did them both because they were so radically different. Um, and I've always felt that you need to meet clients where they're at. Like you can't just come in with like your hammer, right? You need a whole toolbox. If you want to be a great anything in my mind, a great leader, a great coach, you need to have different tools for different situations and for different people. And so I went through both of these, both of these programs. They they were honestly um really diverse in, in the way they approached it. And I was so thankful for that um, as I sort of tried to reconcile it all in my mind. And then ultimately what you do is you, you figure out sort of your own signature style, right? Like, like, like you have. Yeah. What I love about this too, is that both of those were opportunities for you to meet people in this line of work, mm-hmm. both your peers who were learning alongside you and trying to get established um, or credential. They may, may have had a business, but now they wanted the credentials. And then of course the instructors and the the sort of people running these programs who are very well established. So yeah. what a what a great sort of way to sort of be in the community pretty quickly mm-hmm. while learning, while growing. Um, and it, did you start out just like hanging your own shingle and you know trying to find your line up your own clients? Or did you end up working with a with an established company that was doing similar work? Both. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> both, both, absolutely both. Because again, it kind of goes back. I did hang up my own shingle and I sort of went out there. And, um, but then I also think there's always so much to learn. Um, there's always so much to learn. So, yes, I absolutely um, did work with some more established firms to just so that I could become better. Um, and I still work with one firm and, um, and it's because of the community. They're just all a players. They help me be better. Um, and I'm very appreciative for that partnership. And that's actually who I'm thinking of when I'm thinking about you and all the people that you're part of this bigger team. I had the recent experience of working as a coach on behalf of a company after not working for anyone for a while. But what was interesting was, um, well, one, I don't love all the staff meetings. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of sort of required time. Yeah. But I love that I had a supervisor who was giving me support and like I could talk through things about what was happening with my, with my client calls and there was learning and ongoing professional development and just like such a variety of people I got to work with that I would not normally have as clients. So I, it, I was there for like a year and a half and it gave me such a deep appreciation for the massive exposure of all new information. So I imagine that while you're still doing your thing, having an outlet like that and have community like that, it's, it's helpful. A lot of us are just kind of in our own head all the time building our businesses. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So you now I, I promised everyone that we were going to get to this networking piece. And I particularly thought of calling you and inviting you to be on this show because 
you and I were in an in-person gathering for uh, Dory Clark's mastermind in New York City. And um, you you were talking about like how organized you were and processes. And I was like, mental note, invite Dina to be on the show. Like, Because <laughs> I, I ask this next question of a lot of guests over the years and a lot of them go, I really wish I was more organized. <laughs> I just kind of like think of people and take an action. You know? So I know that you're going to have a, a more kind of thoughtful response, which is awesome. But I am sort of curious, like you have met so wide range of people in your career um, from a few different kinds of industries. You've had different kinds of jobs. So there's the inner circle, the people that you will stay in touch with. You know that. And then there's like the second and third layers or tiers right. out. People you like, but you really only see them once a year at a conference. So you work with them five years ago. And even though you like them, they're not people you see on a regular basis. How do you nurture and sustain those kinds of connections? Do you have any habits or philosophies or practices that help make that happen? I do. I do. Um, so there are, there are a few things that I do on that front. Um, the first is, which is maybe what you are referring to when you are talking about the organization is I actually keep lists of people <laughs> that, um, that I want to stay in touch with. Um, with a cadence that feels right. And, um, and I do that because I don't want to forget about all the incredible people um, that I've met um, uh, sort of along, along my path. And um, in terms of, so, so I do have lists and I revisit them. And, you know, one of the things that I'm always thinking about um, when I sort of quote unquote network um, is is how how can I add value to this person, right? And so I don't necessarily sort of like reach out all the time, but I've got these lists, and then I almost like uh, weave together what I'm learning or hearing or seeing with what I know and remember about these people, and I'm I'm always thinking like what what could be useful or helpful for that person, or just show that I remember them and care about them. Um, so, so that's one of the ways I think about it. And then I do have a newsletter, which is my scaled way for, um, trying to stay in touch with my greater community. Um, and again, I always think about, <laughs> I think about my community and I think about what might be helpful for them. And that is, that is, that's how I think about my newsletter. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to dig into this a little bit. I want to get a little more specific because I think, first of all, you're very thoughtful in your approach, which um, is not probably what everyone's doing. And I want to give people a sense that it's possible for them to add little bits of what you're doing into their own habits. Do you have a CRM? Is it a spreadsheet? Is it a paper list? Like where, where are you keeping track of these lists of names? Yeah, no, I do not have a CRM. Um, it, these lists, they developed organically within my task management software. I use OmniFocus for people who are sort of getting things done fans, David Allen. Um, it's anyhow, it's, it's great for that. Um, and I just have a few different lists, categories, and, and then I've got all the, all the, I've got the names of people in there. And then, um, and then I've got cadences. So for example, um, this person, Jeff, who I haven't talked to in four or six months, like he's on my list for tomorrow. Like, would I otherwise think of Jeff tomorrow? Maybe not, but I'm like, oh, Jeff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
what are the categories? Because I think I set up a CRM ages ago and this was a stump. I, it kind of threw me. I think I added way too many categories at first and I had to really cut it back and it became like really cumbersome. I've moved away from CRMs personally just because I've ended up flooding them by mm-hmm. attaching them to my inbox. And then everybody I've ever emailed, <laughs> like my handy woman ends up in my CRM. You know, I'm like, yeah. why? So yeah. um, it becomes useless. But so how are you thinking about these broad categories of people that you want to stay in touch with? Right. So one is um, one is clients, my former executive coaching clients, um, my clients that I've you know had team coaching engagements with. That's that's one category. Um, the second category is um, sort of people who are more or less in the in the industry. Um, so it could be the chief people officer. Um, at a company, you know, because oftentimes chief people officer or C-level execs are the ones who will be bringing me in. And so I'm always thinking about like, how can, how can I add value to those, to those folks? Um, and then my third category is kind of my catch-all, but it's just really like interesting, cool people <laughs> that I don't want to, um, lose touch with. So I just made a note of that, which is, I, I have to tell you, I mostly just listen, but this is what, a moment where I was like, I'm getting a pen. So the way I'm going to translate this is, um, so there's clients. Do you also put prospects in that pool? Like people that you're like, they're kind of close. No. Is no. that a separate? That's a whole separate thing when you're thinking. Yeah, about- that's a separate thing. You know, yeah. executive coaching and team coaching. It's not a high volume. Right. Situation. Yeah. Um, so you know, yeah, they don't, they don't end up in there. Who ends up in my client file are people I've already worked with. So then the second thing, when you were talking about industry and like chief people officer, in my mind, I started translating that to referral partners. So Mm -hmm. it's anybody who could make an introduction or make a referral. So like who, who is doing things and maybe in this space where they may come across someone that would need your services. And then I love the sort of catch all of people you like and don't want to lose touch with because like interesting things happen when you pop up in Jeff's life and hello, you know, um, 100%. but why do you think most, um, there's the organizational aspect, but I do think that that even without the, even if I said, here's a plan, Dina gave you a plan. There are still people listening who think I would never actually do that. Uh-huh. Why do you think that is? Well, honestly, um, what I know is born out in the research and that I've seen um, both in my own life as well as in my executive coaching practice is there are a lot of sort of mental hurdles (laughs) for people when it comes to networking. Like, honestly, if I could just wave a magic wand, I would rebrand networking because I think it is, it is a loaded word for a lot of people. And so some of the things that I've seen most often is um, people will feel like, oh, it's, it's, it feels dirty. It feels icky. It feels slimy. Like, I don't want to use people like that. And of course you don't, right? And that's why you really need to like flip that. And that is why I am like a give first, because that was the huge unlock for me. Like, good God, I, I am all about people. Like the last thing I would want to do is have some pre quo quo situation. Right. Um, and so if you can enter with who knows where this will lead, 
right? And that nurturing relationships is about potential mutual benefit. Then, then that I found is the biggest unlock for that. You know, the other, the other big hurdle that I've seen is um, people think I'm just not good at it. Um, and that's, that of course will get in your way, right. Of, of approaching this. And I'll, I'll hear people who identify as introverted, I'm introverted, right. And sure. Um, I, I can very much appreciate how, um, certain things may be draining, um, for introverts, but it does not make you bad at networking. Like I always like to think of the example of sort of one of those terrible, terrible network events that we can all bring in our mind, like big conference hall, everybody glad handing, right? And if you take a stereotypical extrovert, maybe they collect 15 business cards, if those still exist post-COVID. Um, and then you have the introvert who has one very, very deep conversation and actually establishes a relationship. Like who leaves that event with more? I would actually argue like, the introverted person does, right? And so I don't think there's any, I'm not good at it. Um, You know, all all of the skills of networking are ones that can be developed, 100%. And then the last thing that I'll say is that people will say, I don't have time. And honestly, uh, when you look at the benefits to your career and you look at the benefits to honestly, like your own happiness, like you can't not have time. Okay. I, this is so great. I'm going to unpack this a little bit and drop some resources that are coming to mind. The yeah. hardest part for me right now is holding all the ideas in my head in question. <laughs> okay. So you made me think of Bob Berg's The Go-Giver when you were talking about giving first and showing up with value and all that. And I interviewed him in episode 158 and he's got an incredible book series that he co-authored. So definitely folks check out 158, learn about who Bob Berg is. That's B-U-R-G. Um, and then, um, you were also, um, gosh, there were so many things. So, (laughs) so let's see, uh, the introverted thing I think is so interesting because, um, our mutual friend, Dory Clark is an avowed introvert and her methodology when she moved from Boston to New York city, and she's written about this in various like articles and such is instead of going to like four or five, you know, bar night networking events <laughs> or whatever um, a week, which to her was like the opposite of fun. She host committed to hosting two dinners a month and she co-hosted these dinners so that she brought a few people. Someone else brought a few people and she did that consistently for like a year or two and just developed this amazing in-person, like New York specific network Um, but didn't have to say yes to all the other things that came on her calendar, like if she didn't want to. And I am a huge extrovert, love being around people. And I also really see such value in her approach. And when I'm going to conferences, I organize dinners. So like, I just think, yeah, lean into your strengths, but a lot of it is pre-planning, like, you know, not going in and just assuming you'll meet the right people, but like thinking ahead of time. Um, and that mindset piece at the end about not having time, I mean, like, like you said, I, I think the worst case scenario is you don't invest regularly into your network and then you need something. And we've all gotten the, the like frantic email with a resume attached. Please look at my CV. Like I need a job or it's like a random LinkedIn outreach when you're like, I haven't talked to this person in 12 years. And they're like, oh, I need a job. Can you introduce me? And you're like, what? 
So, um, you know, really thinking about how do we nurture and sustain like almost this idea around it being an insurance policy that we keep giving into our network, hoping to never need it. But like, if we do, they're there. So, I mean, really rock solid. And I hope people listening are taking this in and taking notes, rewinding. Um, Cause you, you also like, while you have a system, it's not a complicated one. It's not like cumbersome. No, I think it's, um, I think one of the things that really comes to me as I hear you reflect back um, some of what you heard is that um, there isn't one way to do this, right? Like you need to network <laughs> in a way that is authentic to you, right? Like Dor- like Dory did. And then you need a system that works for you. There's no silver bullet out there or some like secret sauce, right? Like this is all possible um, while staying true to yourself and not investing in some CRM or figuring out some fancy new way to organize things. Like just fit it into whatever already triggers you to remember stuff. Um, I had a really funny moment when... um... I talked a lot about how you could do any, use any modality that works for you as long as you'll use it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it does, you know, whether it's a spreadsheet or paper, and it's like, if it's a stack of index cards with people's names on it, so be it. And then I had a colleague at that company that I worked with, a, co- a fellow coach uh, named Ron Tester, who that is his system. <laughs> mm-hmm. He has a stack of cards and as he meets interesting people, he writes their name down on the card. And then he puts them at the bottom of the pile and then he looks to see who's in the top of the pile and he looks at it and, and he, either, he either moves them to the not now pile or he takes the action, writes a little note on the card and puts it back to the bottom pile. And in episode 230, he explained it. And I had to have him on because I had joked for so many years, like anything you know, agnostic about the process, as long as you're going to use it. And that is his system. And I, I think we overcomplicate. We like we buy these expensive programs and solutions that we don't really understand. And if you, I guess you're, you're sort of saying, if you know why you're doing it, then like you're more likely to do it. <laughs> and it feels like you're very clear on the why it's important to you. And that, that helps you follow through on the intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, even when um, I, I, I get so much personal benefit out of, just staying in touch with people that I admire and respect and enjoy. Like, I I mean, I already feel like I get huge returns, right? Just on a, I don't know, on a life level. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this sort of micro encouragement that you get just from doing it. It doesn't have to be a big payoff um, all the time because you just feel good about the process and doing it and, like I, um, this year have committed to sending out physical birthday cards. So last year I started gathering, um, an online address book using postable.com and was sending, you know, the occasional congratulations or sympathy card, which was very nice thing to do, but I like wanted to step up and do more. I'm like, I have all these addresses, you know, and I know people's, so I was like, okay, I'm going to look once or twice a month and I'm going to like, see what birthdays are coming up. I'm going to commit and write personalized messages. And I got a handwritten note back from someone oh. and it was just like, so touching. And what was really great about it is she, someone I know was like someone who made her claim to fame in the world of Twitter. 
And like, she's a very online person. Like she's a digital person, you know, mm-hmm. like, but she wrote in the note, like how fun it is to get yeah. mail. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny. I, I do the exact same thing. I use postable and I, this year too, along with the other resolution I told you about earlier, I committed to, um, sending out physical cards and, um, I similarly had like this wonderful experience like mid-January where I'd sent a card to somebody and um, here's the funny thing. She's like, oh my gosh, that was so thoughtful. How did you know? (laughs) And it's funny, right? Because the way I knew is she actually had put her information into Postable for me (laughs) when I sent her a link in order to send her actually a holiday card. So, you know, I didn't want to destroy all the magic and let but it her wasn't know even it. what's funny is that it was <laughs> like you probably asked late in last year for that information for mm-hmm. a holiday card. And then even though just a couple of weeks later, you sent her a birthday <laughs> card, it still felt like a Disney moment. <laughs> Disney moment created magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm always like like the how to um, surprise and delight like that, that Disney sort of motto like that is. Something I'm always trying to think about. And it's so funny how small things like I have a, my friend, Melissa Smith has a habit I love, which is she sends me handwritten congratulations notes and really encouraging notes. And I, I literally can find one on my desk whenever I need to like get a little pep, like in my step. And it's, I don't know, it's just like so nice that, and I think, wow, she must be so organized, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's the thing she's like decided to do, right? There's a right. thing and she's not doing everything. Like, so yeah. it's just like, we all. I love, I love it. All right. We're yes. going to wrap up here with my final question, which is one of my okay. favorite questions. You and I are going to definitely stay in touch. Um, we're that kind of people. Let's say it's a year from now and we are toasting all of your successes. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? You know, honestly, what, what lights me up is when my clients, whether it's an individual leader or a team, when, when they're highly successful and I've been able to partner with them um, and be part of that journey for them towards an even greater level of success. So a year from now, if we're celebrating, we're celebrating like all the many ways that like my clients have absolutely kicked butt. Like, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to celebrate it. Do you have any personal goals that you're itching to, to reach in the next year? Um, well, yeah. And, and yeah, personally, um, as you know, I think like I, I have a pretty passionate hobby on the side, um, which is riding and competing in equestrian sports. And I, I made a switch to a new discipline early this year. Um, so I went from hunters and equitation, which is more of like a, a jumping thing to dressage which is an Olympic sport. And it's, if you know, remember sort of horses dancing, that's, that's dressage. And so, um, you know, my personal goal is to just, I'm going, I'm at the very, very beginning of this learning curve. And so, um, you know, I just really look forward to excelling in that and being at a much different place a year from now than I am today. Oh, it's going to be so much fun to watch that journey with you mm-hmm. and for you to be in a learning space again with something that you already know you love. So congratulations on making that decision. And I look forward to hearing about all your like micro uh, moments of effort and success over the next year. And we'll get together and celebrate in a bigger way. So good. how can people find you and follow your work, Dina? Thank you. Um, so gosh, uh, my website is uh, cognitascoaching.com. 
So Cognitas is C-O-G-N-I-T-A-S and then coaching.com. And there you can um, find some resources that hopefully will be really helpful to you and learn more about me and my services and see some uh, cool case studies of, of clients I've worked with. We'll put all those links in addition to how to find you on LinkedIn on the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Dina, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you for having me. It was a real blast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dina. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 274. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. They'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.